Hello and welcome. The name of this podcast series is Taboo Truths and Tales. So why these particular T words are all in the title, you may may want to know. Fair question. It's because this podcast deals with subject matter considered to be taboo. This podcast deals with a person's perception of truths. And this podcast deals with storytelling tales of fiction told by an individual. You need to choose for yourself what you perceive as truths versus tales because very often in real life that distinction is not crystal clear. This podcast is marked explicit. What that means, you should not listen to this podcast if you happen to be under the age of 18 or if someone under age 18 is listening there with you. Explicit means nobody under age 18 should be listening to this podcast series. So here we go. Taboo Truths and Tales is hosted by Madeira D'Souza. That's me. Some of you may know me by my nickname as Woody. Whatever you want to call me, I welcome you here to this podcast, which is definitely intended for people who are 18 or older. Thank you. Now let's get started. My guest is 3D artist Sparky Shock. His best-known visual works show male victims bound to a metal frame for up-close observation of their unwilling responses to the shocking effects of electricity upon human anatomy. How did you choose the artist named Sparky Shock, or did someone else choose it for you? I started out as a... um uh, me and a friend of mine were going to make some hardcore ball busting videos and uh, we had an idea to sort of like start a whole xtube channel this is back in like i think 2013 2014-ish and uh, it seemed like a cool idea and so we were sort of getting set up for that we were creating like uh, like you know various accounts and stuff on social media and in tr- trying to choose something i'm not entirely sure what Sparked it exactly, sparked. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, gave me the inspiration. But um, I think at the time I was, uh, I'm a big fan of a game called System Shock, and uh, there's like a, another game, uh, uh, similar creators called Bioshock, and so something shock sounded like a like a cool sort of like a moniker, and and I thought of the name Sparky Ball Shock, which was my original Gmail uh, name, but uh, for some bizarre reason I couldn't have that, so I had to uh, shorten it to Sparky Shock. And then that's what became my uh, like my go-to pseudonym for, for those kinds of videos. And uh, then uh, later on, uh, once I started creating 3D art, and I figured, well, I, pr- I should probably do this under an artist pseudonym just because it would sound cooler than just my regular name, which is a very boring British name. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I thought, well, yeah, I've still got that Gmail account I set up with you know, my buddy. And we, we ended up not making those videos after all just because he kind of flaked out on me, which is a bit of a shame. Um, so that's how I ended up with the name, and it was just it was a it was a holdover from an XTube era, and um, I ended up just using that. That's really cool. What uh, what prompted you to get started in three uh, D digital art? <laughs> that's a long story. Because um, what prompted it was was just outright down and out depression. Uh, over the uh, the perceived collapse and failure of my uh, my film music career, because I tried for a good fifteen years or so to get into film music and uh, sort of you know in, in post production in movies in general, and uh, up until about late twenty thirteen, uh, I'd, I'd done a lot of stuff, but it was all independent crap. You know, it's all stuff that you'll never you know hear of. Um, lots of like web series and uh, Star Trek fan films, that kind of thing. The sort of thing you cut your teeth on when you're you know trying to make a portfolio and um, establish yourself. And so 
Um, I, well, I've kind of told a few people, but I'm actually you know, a very well-trained orchestral composer, which is why, why I tend to use a lot of that uh, music in my, you know, like when I do make a video or whatever else, you know, a lot of that music is actually like stuff I've written. Um, and in the future, when I do animated projects, uh, the, one of the fun things about that is being able to reuse my uh, film editing and uh, music making skills and you know, make them far more dramatic and really pump up the, uh, the production value. So, uh, but the thing is, like in 2013, uh, at the uh, urgings of my, my then husband, I entered a competition, it was a writing competition, and it was for, uh, you, you score five minutes of a, of a real film, uh, it, it doesn't go into the film, it's just, it's like, uh, I, I think I had Wolfman 2010 or something, one of, the, one of these movies anyway, it was a horror film, and uh, had to score five minutes of this thing, and I really put a lot of effort into that, and at the end of it, I wasn't really expecting to win or nothing, but like there's there's three winners, and then there's 20 honorable mentions, and I didn't get into any of those, and it really broke my heart, because I put a lot of effort in, and when I heard the results, you know, when I heard what, what did win, I was like, well, this is no better than mine, <laughs> what the fuck, and uh, at the time, it really crushed me, and I was really in a very bad mood for, for a couple of months there. And uh, it just been like, you know, 15 years of my life had just been wasted because, you know, film music is a really shitty career to try and get into unless you've sort of got uh, a helping hand, someone to really, like, you know, uh, take you on as an apprentice, that sort of thing. And so I found myself browsing just in general uh, the, the forums at Renderotica, uh, sorry, the galleries, and I was looking at some of the, like, you know, the torture porn stuff, and I found a lot of it was sort of, like, fun but it was very unsatisfying because, like, I was seeing, like, you know, these artists doing various things, uh, you know, torture scenes and that, and I just felt like I could do so much a better job if I had these jobs because it's like they're not hitting the spot. They're, they're sort of, they're cheaping out halfway through. It's like they're, ash they're ashamed to show that they're into this kind of stuff, and so they turn the artwork into either a bit of a joke or they don't go the whole way. And then um, just, uh, you know, over the course of, a, like, a couple of nights, I think I found myself looking at model packs for, like, you get, like, certain torture implements, like stun guns and, you know, shock beds and, and dungeons and things, and I thought, oh, you can actually, like, buy these as a, as a model pack. And uh, so then, and they're, they're really cheap. They're, like, 10 bucks for a pack of this and a pack of that, and I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. And then I knew about the software Poser, uh, and I knew it cost a fair amount of money. It was like four or five hundred bucks. But then I saw an advert for Daz 3D saying free. And I was like, okay, I'll check that out. So it took me to Daz3D.com, and uh, and the, the software you know, is is then well, at least at the time was then free. And the idea is that instead of buying the software, you buy models off of their store. It's actually a pretty decent business model because the the models themselves are not terribly expensive, so it allows amateurs like myself at the time to you know buy these things and get started and instead of being a modeler or a texturer you just you take pre-made models and you create a scene out of it and then you can turn that into animation or a comic uh, as well as we both do and so that's what really got me started and it was just out of pure depression <laughs> that led me to looking up very hardcore things and then getting unsatisfied or dissatisfied with what i saw there and thinking i could do better and uh, I remember the first night of starting up with Daz and trying to figure out how to pose a, a single object. It was just murderous. The, the learning curve on that sort of stuff is insane. Um, but after after a couple of days, and I was figuring out, you know, looking at YouTube videos on how to and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, my first few images are bloody terrible, but the, I had so much fun putting that together. It was like, it was such a... A mood swing from like really depressed to gleefully happy, like beyond I can even mention. And then realizing very quickly, it's like, oh, I could make a, I could make a comic out of this. I could, you know, I could really pour my my most intense fantasies into artwork. And that's what started me off. And that was back in early 2014. And uh, yeah, that's sort of kept going since, basically. We have very similar starting points. Uh, yeah. Um, I was, well, I didn't have the depression from not being successful at music, although I did have music in, uh, I've, I've heard, first of all, let me say, I've heard your work, not all of it, of course, but uh, some of the music that you have available online, and it's very good. I, I found it very enjoyable. Um, in my case, I 
was married to this was married to a woman. What was I thinking? But um, <laughs> I bought hardware, music hardware, music keyboards, and it was yeah. the beginning of the MIDI musical instrument digital interface. For those who don't know, M I D I. Um, and it was lots of fun, but my ex-wife was just very unsupportive. She's now my ex-wife. Uh, she didn't uh, support at all, said this was no good, blah, blah, blah. So I killed her. No. <laughs> I divorced her so that I wouldn't kill her, and I would yeah. be in prison in Massachusetts today as we speak if I had stayed married. But anyway, got from musical, uh, digital music to digital creation like you did. I did start with Poser and I found uh, it was expensive. I found, um, I didn't really care for the way they worked. They meaning the Poser app. And then I discovered Daz 3D and I found, wow, this is so much better. And I have never gone back to Poser. I just think Daz 3D is a wonderful app. Uh, like you said, you can get inexpensive um, elements. I call them digital assets. Uh, you know, and why should one spend the time doing textures and creating images, you know, objects like a, an automobile or a cowboy hat or whatever? The storytelling is what matters, I think, and what you do, what an artist does with his art so you know i don't care that someone else created the cowboy hat that i just use it and instead of a black hat i make it white that kind of thing you know so but it sounds like you have very similar beginnings yeah well it, it's kind of funny because uh, i remember having the same sort of discussion with a friend of mine who's a professional photographer and because we were talking about like um uh, you know, you get some comments from people saying, you know, uh, like, well, is, is it really your art if it's not your model? You know, you didn't make the model, so how much do you really own it? And to which he had a really great reply to that, which is, well, the photographer isn't required to build his own bloody camera from scratch. <laughs> you know, he doesn't have to be a lens crafter, and he doesn't have to understand microelectronics to make a circuit board and literally create a camera in order to then take an image and own the image. He just goes to a store buys a camera, buys a lens, and gets on with the process of being creative. And so it's very similar to that in a way. Like, you know, that's the whole point of the DAZ assets is there is a world of difference between a modeler, uh, a texture artist, a sculptor, and a, a creative in terms of the person who's going to use those assets and turn it into a story. And it's okay to be either of those. And a lot of people who make the models have no interest in making art with them. You know, the, the whole point is they make them so that we artists take them and then make something out of them. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's it, it's pretty cool. Though. There's basically room for everyone in these sorts of things. I had a similar experience in the... Uh, I had an artist, uh, kind of a famous guy, someone I yeah. was in touch with, Martin of Holland. Um, I know his real name, but I can't recall it. I don't have it written down. Um, he is no longer living, and he was a very, very angry man. Uh, he would, he would, we corresponded by email, and he looked at the stuff that, that I was creating, and he eventually said, like what your photographer friend addressed, well, how can yeah. this, how can this be considered art if you didn't touch your fingers to a pen or a pencil or a paintbrush? Yeah. And it's like, what? You know, um, that's a real uh, 18th century, I would say, perspective. And yeah. I, I happen to live in the 21st. Thank you very much. Um, you know, so I don't think people nowadays, especially young people, you know, they've heard of Rembrandt and they've heard of Da Vinci and whatever, uh, Salvador Dali and others, you know, that painted, created art with their hands but but so what you know it's the it's the interpretation it's the viewing the enjoyment is what i aim for not for myself but for the vi for the viewer and it sounds like you were doing the the same or similar 
work. Yeah, I mean, when it comes right down to it, the uh, the medium is different. And whenever, because uh, I, I I don't get it often, but I've had a, a few arguments with um, with artists who are you know traditional line drawing artists, and they're the kind of say, well, you know, you're not really an artist. I'm like, well, for a start, I, I don't. I don't really, uh, you know, peg myself as an artist anyway. I mean, I kind of do, but it's more of a loose term. It's, it, you know, at the end of the day, the, the label doesn't really mean anything. I, I don't really care if I'm considered an artist or, you know, uh, whatever, whatever other name you'd like to assign to it. The, you know, as you say, the business of telling the story and showing something off is is more interesting. And actually, if I'm if I can name drop just a little bit, um, I have. Actually, I think you do too. But a little bit of uh, communication with Lionel Cavello, who of course is uh, rather famous and uh, exquisite, you know, uh, drawings. And it's always fun uh, chatting to him because uh, when I'll, I'll send him some of my artwork, uh, just to you know show him what I'm up to, and uh, he's always kind of blown away by uh, the, the the actual the look of things there because he's like, man, I I couldn't even imagine how. I would achieve that sort of look. Is so, well, it's it's entirely different discipline. <laughs> These are not uh, they're not really compatible in terms of like comparing them. It's literally comparing an apple to an orange. Uh, you know, when you've got like line drawings versus three D art, it's one is digital virtual photography, and the other one is like literally like the skill of line drawing. So. Yeah, there's no reason to get head up. I think about over any of these things because they they are what they are. Yeah. Well, and Martin of Holland, may he rest in peace. But I, I didn't give a shit what he thought about me. You know, he made comments saying, comparing myself to him or his work to mine. And, you know, it's pointless to do that because, like you say, they're different. It's apples and oranges, and uh, he's no longer living, and we are. So here we go. <laughs> Not you, you're dead. <laughs> that's, that's right. Now you have, uh, speaking of Holland, you and I have one thing in common, well, many things, but in particular, yeah. being uh, community members of Scaffies from uh-huh. the Netherlands. And I was wondering if, since people who are on Scaffies as members will be listening to this, if you could talk about how did you get involved you started well before i did on scaffies how did you get how did you find them and how did you get involved on scaffies you know i can't remember exactly how i found scaffies but i think uh it may have been because i think it was before that i'd started doing my artwork and the scaffies came around about 2013 and i, I I actually know now I think about it, it must have been just after I started my artwork because a friend of mine who I have digitized and turned into a model, in fact, he's the star of most of my comic stories, and uh, he's just known as Mark, which is a very unremarkable name, <laughs> but of course he doesn't want to be known by his, his real name. Um, now, he was uh, in the Scappies community for a long time, but he kind of had to stop just because his job and everything just made it impossible for him to stick around, but I mean, he's an incredibly sexy guy beautiful body. I, I, I once had the pleasure of him, which was great. He's kind of into ball busting, but in a very light way. He doesn't, he doesn't like it hard like I do, but but he uh, he's into sort of electro-stim and, uh, and you know very much into bondage and all that kind of stuff. And he was the one, uh, I think, who um, got me started in Second Life. He invited me to come along because he was like, hey, you know, there's these places you can, like, you know, go through hardcore torture and, you know, uh, wrestling. Like, you know, name your fantasy, it's available, you know, including, you know, all of the, the much more extreme and hardcore things. And I was like, oh, that kind of sounds interesting. I'd heard of Second Life before, but I'd never really thought too much about it. But then uh, I went there and, and very quickly I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is kind of cool. <laughs> I could hang out here. I mean, of course, it's just a, it's, well, it's not really a computer game. It's more like a computer simulation in a way uh, but you get to you know look like what you want to look like you you know build your dream home etc or your dream dungeon and uh, you can interact with other people and there's a lot of uh, toys and machines that enact animations and of course a lot of them are for sex and other ones are for torture and things like that and so it was very inspiring and uh, very early on I had the idea that oh I could actually use this this game as a way of filming like, you know, an animated scene, because, you know, I've got the camera here, and I could do that, and I, I initially started doing that. The, the graphics don't look great, but they don't look bad, like it's passable. But then after a 
time using, like, you know, this is very early on using DAZ, I realized that, well, don't necessarily have to do animation. I could, uh, you know, just use stills and make a comic, etc. So I got a lot of inspiration from Second Life. But at the same time, uh, the same person, Mark, he uh, pointed out that a lot of my pictures that I was making were getting reposted on the Scappies forum. And I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> it's good to know that it's sort of getting around and everything. So I think this must have been about 2014 or 2015, but I signed up to Scappies. And in fact, uh, at the time, they had just launched the very first Scapcon, so Scapcon 1, which I, I bought a ticket to. And um, I, I can't remember exactly how that all went. But So, so that's, that's really where I came into Scappies, was just about, about the first time they were starting all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and then I kind of dipped out for a bit, maybe a year or two, and then it wasn't until uh, I met uh, Skylar on Tumblr <laughs> that, uh, uh, that, that he, uh, he, he and I got chatting about certain artworks and such, and uh, we exchanged some, some rather interesting stories and everything, and he, he was a constant source of inspiration back then, still is, uh, and then he kind of said, well, you know, you should sort of come into Scaffies and, and check it out again, because uh, it, I sort of dipped out for a long time. So then I came back, and that was about, I think, 2018, I want to say, uh, that sort of, you know, came back to the fold, and then sort of, I've been there since, basically, I'm trying to help out, trying to, you know, like, do some of the, the Scafcon artwork. I've just started out as, like, a, well, you know, what can I do to help out in uh, promoting this event? And, uh, you know, and it's good for me, because every month I'm forced to make an art set, <laughs> which, I, I mean, I'm not forced uh, by anyone else other than me, but the point is, I, I like that, because it means that I'm going to have you know, uh, an art set to show on, like, obviously, it's Cappy's first, but then it eventually goes to all my other websites and such. So uh, it, it forces me to, to be creative and, you know, keep ahead of the game. And sometimes, you know, some of the stuff is a little less inspired than others, and then other times, like uh, the, the one that's coming out this weekend, uh, I guess, uh, for pe people listening to the very future, we're referring to November the 28th of 2021. Uh, so if, if you listen to this five years in the future, sorry you missed it, but... <laughs> So I guess you could search for the content. But anyway, I have a very cool idea for reusing my Scafcon, uh, sorry, my Scafcoin model, which I made. And actually, I, I guess we'll, I'll, I'll let you, you talk next, but yeah, we, we should definitely talk about the um, the differences between, like, yeah, say, being a modeler and being a posing artist, which I guess is what we're classified as. But yeah, the uh, the way I started out in Scafies was basically one of the, the previous members who I'd already met in Austria and played with. Uh, he invited me to come to Scaffy. So that's a very long answer, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a very good answer. I um, I am just so happy that I found Scaffy's because the, uh, the community, the members uh, that I have interacted with are so supportive. Um, almost, it's almost like there are many days when someone will say, and usually there's a consistent the thing they say the most is, wow, this is, you know, in so many words, wow, this is really hot. I like what you do. Uh, it's very, um, it arouses me, that kind of thing. But it's in the real world. I mean, Scaffies is the real world. But in the non-Scaffies world, I find that the people I interact with are not as uh, able to express themselves and express their uh their arousal you know they don't they have a hard time putting into words how they are feeling and i guess this is true of men just generally but i found that scaffy's members men are somehow more articulate in being able to talk about their feelings why do they like um a boot kicking a guy's balls you know and they're able to make it sound intelligent and, and sound, uh, you know, sensible, whereas I found outside of Scaffy's, not so. People were just unable, <laughs> unable to express themselves. So that is the main thing I find at Scaffy's. It's a very welcoming community, and I urge people who haven't gone there to go scaffy's.nl, and the NL stands for Netherlands, the uh, community is very welcoming and, and as I've just said, very intelligent. Um, and and I have enjoyed interacting with you on Scaffies because you and I are 
I guess we could say, what's the cliche, cut from the same cloth? Now, is that an American phrase, or is there another way of expressing that? I see what you're saying, yes, and uh, I would agree. Yeah, we're we're, uh, very much uh, doing what's in a similar vein. And the one thing that is true that you talked about already is people who are the creators of the uh, digital assets... Uh, yeah. That's one thing. But to be able to tell a story and to be able to, I mean, you talked about this when you were explaining starting out in um, in uh, Renderotica, which I'm also on that website. And I tried Second Life. Um, I didn't really care for it because it was, uh, I don't know, it seemed, I would say the word unrealistic. And, you know, I'm not expecting photorealism every day, 24-7, but I just found it was very cartoony, if you will. Is that a word? Um, And so I didn't really stay on Second Life, whereas the stuff that I create in Daz 3D, the stuff that you create in Daz 3D, may have whimsical feelings and maybe comics and maybe comical but it's serious stuff in the sense of sexual experiences and that i admire in what you do and that, and that is what i aim for to be realistic in the sexual storytelling yeah i mean i i would agree the uh, second life thing it's it's more it scratches the itch of um uh, I, I guess the, the fantasy and, and the sort of inspiration. Uh, so it, it kind of is u- it's a useful tool for that sort of thing. Uh, I wouldn't rely on it as a uh, sort of source of, well, yeah, like I said, trying to make animations out of it. it I realized that it kind of looked a little dumb, but at the same time, it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not a professional at this. I'm not expecting, uh, you know, to, to make uh, anything really super special. But... Uh, but it was good for inspirations, and and yeah, in, indeed, the the Scaffies community, as you uh, just said, uh, has been terrific. I mean, uh, they were very very welcoming of me, and still have been. And uh, uh, you know, it's it's <laughs> it's it's not something that you necessarily want to admit, but let's face it, we kind of live for the pat on the back. <laughs> so if uh, if you get that, it's like oh, thank God. <laughs> it's nice to be appreciated, and it's. Uh, you know, it makes it makes you feel good, and particularly if you're an artist and you're kind of like you know uh, terminally creative, as it were. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, you you have to create. And you you want to you know you want to you want to feel fulfilled. Uh, it's nice to have an audience that actually cares about it and, and uh, reacts to it and enjoys it. And the thing about doing what we do is there's an underlying uh, underlying sort of um, uh, or what is even the word I can describe here. Um, it's it's a very dark sort of subject matter, and for most people, it's incredibly uncomfortable. And and you can see why, of course. So, you know, can't really pretend it's not. But uh, it's what we do is we sort of lavish the moment. It's kind of like with a horror film. I mean, you know, a horror film is about uh, you know that quickening experience of, of of vicariously living something that you would never want to go through in real life. You know, you just have to look at like the Saw movies or you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre or anything like that. You know, there's no way in hell do you ever want to be in those real situations, at least as the victim, um, or, <laughs> or anything in that book. So, you know, what we do is we allow people to vicariously experience some of the more extreme aspects of S&M, um, uh, you know, in a way that allows... Because uh, the way I always structure my comics is I want the person to feel that they can be either the um, the buster, the busty, or a third person watching the scene so if you look carefully at the way i structure the sort of comics and such they're usually done in such a way that you could easily sort of see yourself through the eyes of uh, of, of both victim and torturer but also to be able to step outside of that and experience it in third person and uh, so it sort of covers all three angles and uh, I, I think the best compliments i've ever had is when people particularly with my basement of pain comic where they say that they can sort of smell the atmosphere in the dungeon, they could go, you know, smell the damp that's on the wall, you know, and hear the the, the sounds of like metal and chains and kind of stuff. And that, that's a fantastic thing because I usually like try to make sure that uh, pe- people get the, the most sort of cinematic experience out of my work, and that comes from my background in you know wanting to make film and everything like that. It's uh, something I aspire to is uh, not necessarily like complete photorealism, but I want to get that sense of drama across yeah well you touched on exactly the the way the scaffies members 
respond. I mean, they talk about in interacting with me, they talk about how dark my storytelling is and the, uh, the awful things, the painful things, sometimes fatal things that happen to my characters. And yet they like, the, the Scaffies guys like looking at that and they like my stories and they keep coming back for more. So it is exactly what you said, the uh, being appreciated by an audience that actually is informed, I would add, and also intelligent, I would add. Many of these people that are on Scaffies are um, well-educated, I found, um, you know, compared to just the average guy that you might encounter on Twitter or Facebook, you know, that makes comments like, well, your work is hot. Uh, it's like, okay, <laughs> hot, what does that mean? But, you know, but the, can you articulate beyond that? Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah and, I, I would say that, that with, with S&M and like ball busting and, and people who are into that sort of thing, there tends to be a lot more um, honesty and, uh, and I would say truthfulness to a person like that. That's not to say that they can't hide things and it's not to say that, you know, there can't be a little bit of subterfuge, but in general, you know, they're, they're going to be far more honest about what they want out of, out of, uh, things. And I, I appreciate that more than anything else. It's far more real, you know, in life, uh, to, to go through that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, some, some encounters I've had, which, uh, you know, ultimately turned out to be fine. I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's no real problem, but like, uh, there's the fear of meeting like someone out of the blue for some something that's going to be an extreme session, uh, which you know I've done a couple of times now, uh, and that's largely thanks to, <laughs> to the urgings of certain people on Scappies, yeah, sort of uh, not not forcing me, but like saying, hey, you know, you, you should really go and encounter this a bit more, and uh, those have just been really fantastic situations, and uh, and then afterwards, you know, obviously getting to know that person more, it's uh, yeah, it's. It's a fantastic community. I, I, I don't particularly care for normal <laughs> anymore. Right. It's, yes. Uh, no, normal doesn't work for me. It's so fake, and it, it has a, it has just a facade that I just can't look at without going, "Oh God, what is wrong with you?" <laughs> you know, that that captures yeah. it beautifully. I think uh, if only, if only the world could be like Scaffy's is for us, it would just be. <laughs> it would be it would be excellent. It would be excellent. Yeah. Now I wanted to ask you. You mentioned you had a character, you had a person rather in real life, Mark, yeah. that you you said you used the word digitized, and in essence yeah. you turned him, whatever verb, into a digital character who lives on in your work. How does that? How do you? Now I have particular methods in in the Daz 3D universe that I take something like a photography, a photograph rather, of a face and then change a face into, uh, from a photo into a digital asset and then I make characters out of that. How do you, what's your your method? Uh, I assume you're probably using the same kind of software I'm using, whether there's a software called FaceGen Pro, is that that familiar? Yeah, I'm using uh, Face Transfer, I think. Uh, Okay. Uh, so FaceGen Pro, it probably uses a very similar sort of thing. So it allows you to take three biometric style photographs, so very uh, precise sort of uh, like dead on forward and then dead on left, dead on right, uh, sort of images of a real person. And from that, you then uh, you can put this into the software. You mark out the sort of uh, the dots around the face and certain areas like uh, you know, where the nose and the eyes and all, all the kind of points of the face are. And then using the photograph, the uh, the software can extrapolate a, a, top, a, a topology of the face. And then this creates a 3D morph. So it's probably uh, similar to what you're doing. But it, it can also then utilize the, uh, the, the skin, uh, the color and the texture of the skin in order to extrapolate an entire body skin, which is really quite cool. Yeah. Now, it's not always 100%. And uh, depending on the lighting, the resolution of the photograph, a lot of things that you know, can really screw up. And there's a couple of examples of me digitizing myself. They're not you know, 100% close to me, but you know, they're not bad. You can definitely see me in the photograph. But, um, yeah, so, so that's what I use for that. And in this case, I did that with Mark. So he sent me a bunch of pictures of him, and I uh, uh, turned his, his face into a model and then recreated his body based on reference pictures. Uh, and he he has a real life. He has an amazing body. He's just 
fucking beautiful. <laughs> really gorgeous, muscular, uh, but athletic physique. Uh, so, like, recreating him is not very difficult. Like, if, if you're a person like myself who's like, you know, uh, you know, I mean, I'm big, but I'm kind of like, uh, I, I'm, not in, I'm not in the best shape. Uh, I'm in shape athletically, but I don't look like I've got a great shape. So trying to recreate me in, in 3D, like if I was trying to be accurate, I'd have to try and, you know, figure out how to, to you know, mold belly section, all this kind of stuff. This is kind of, you know, biggest gripe I have with myself is trying to work and all that. But, um, yeah, with Mark, it's really easy because he has a textbook muscle body. You can't, you know, really screw that up with the, the DAS models. So that's essentially what I'm using is a Space Gen Pro, and uh, that allows me to, you know, take a, a person's, photograph uh, image and then turn it into a 3D model of a face and then I'll recreate their body based on reference pictures. Yes, and I I really like your work. I think you do. Um, there's just enough, it's just enough out there, if you will, in the sense of the violence uh, that the character is enduring and, uh, you know, the people that are, that are inflicting the violence yeah. upon the character, also very realistic. So I see what you're saying and giving the viewer the opportunity to be either put them put themselves in as the victim or as the one who's doing the torturing or just as a the third party viewer. I am exactly on the same page with you on that. Um, yeah. One thing I wanted to talk about, I created actually by request. It was a commissioned work through Scaffies, and I won't name names. Um, mm -hmm. I think some of the people may have, if they look at the uh, the threads, they could probably figure out who I am talking about. But basically, I was contacted by one Scaffies member who wanted to create, wanted me to create a story based on the uh, body, the face and the body of his husband. And I yeah. agreed. It was a very low cost, you know. I mean, low cost. It's two hundred bucks, and that's not a lot of money in the world I occupy. So, um, you know, it was something I thought was very reasonable. Anyway, long story short, I created. I didn't have a lot to go on in the sense of source photos, um, and I ended up with something that was. I don't think that either of the two guys, either of the two Scaffies members were completely satisfied with how the character looked. And I, you know, one thing I try and emphasize is we are not creating photorealistic, 100% identical to a picture, you know? Yeah. And the people who are the viewers, the recipient of the story or the message, they need to let go of their expectations. You have to have what's in the business called the willing suspension of disbelief in that, yeah. you know, like Marlon Brando, when he made the movie The Godfather, wasn't an overweight Italian. Well, he may be Italian, but he wasn't an overweight guy, Vito Corleone. That was makeup and appliances and acting. So it's the same kind of thing. People need to suspend disbelief and to accept Vito Corleone is a good, a realistic thing, a character, but he isn't really Marlon Brando. So in the story yeah. that I created, the guy who was the object of this story didn't look 100% like the husband of the one who commissioned the work. And I kind of regret that, but... Lessons learned, you know, and I hope those listening will understand. Suspension of disbelief is what it's all about. You have to kind of set aside, well, that doesn't have my exact hair color kind of comments. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, uh, every time someone's asked me to, to do and it doesn't happen too often, but, uh, you know, if I do get a commission to recreate someone, I, I will give it the caveat. It's like, look, this is never going to be 100% because, <laughs> you know, the, the sort of software that allows me to do the uncanny valley thing with you, like, yeah, that belongs to big companies like ILM. I can't do that. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I can do the best approximation. So it's it's going to be as close as I can get it. But, you know, yeah, you've got to allow a certain, um, uh, you know, amount of errata, as it were, uh, because what the fact of the matter is, even with the best uh, software, the best resolution photographs, you only ever get, like, you know, certain close. Like, I did pretty well with Mark, 
but even he, when he looks at his image, he's like, well, it does look like me, but it looks like me 10 years ago. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, hey, uh, you know, at least it's flattering you, right? <laughs> right, and that, and uh, being yeah. 10 years younger is never a bad thing, never. Right, yeah, if only I could do that for myself in real life. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> mind being 33 again, that would be nice. <laughs> well, and that that's one of the funnest things, is that a word? The most fun things about digital is that I did create, as you have done, I created a character that is representative of myself you know i refer yeah. to him the character as the artist or the creator not the creator in heaven if there is such a thing but the creator <laughs> of, of of the story of the art and i'm it, not saying i'm god but i'm kind of god <laughs> <laughs> well we play in the role of god um, well, we do. We, we we create people. We create worlds, and and they live and die by our hand. <laughs> yeah, and it's a it's an amazing. This is really self serving, but we have such power. I tell you, we <laughs> we create life and we take life. It's remarkable. Yeah. It's remarkable, isn't it? It it really is. <laughs> now, when you when you put a story together. Where I have talked very openly about how my inspirations, I create always, I always create the character first. Mm. And whether he is an original or derived from a photograph of some other guy, I always start with the character. And then I explain it that the character tells me what they want to happen to them in a story, which is kind of odd to say, kind of spooky. But I read about how Paul McCartney gets inspired through dreams. He gets music yeah. that comes in his dreams. He gets lyrics and so forth. So I think that I don't compare myself to Paul McCartney, but the inspiration is is elsewhere it isn't inside of me at least i don't know and and so i always attribute it to elsewhere it's out there somewhere and it comes to me how do you how do you work in that context well the stories i've done so far uh like the first three uh sparky shock stories were just kind of like i just uh kind of sat back and thought well what is my most depraved kind of like ambitious you know what i would like to see or experience or you know like every angle of this it's um it was just like you know what is my biggest wish list for what i would like to to see and do in a in a, in a scene like this and i didn't really even have to think about it i, I just put it together and so this the, the first comic was the idea and it was kind of just me really letting go. In fact, the, the first version of that first comic was uh, with the first draft of that I submitted to Dreamboy Bondage, which at the time I was kind of doing a bit of cross-promotion with. And they didn't like the story because they were like, this is too complex, like simplify it down. And so I did, and then I came up with the second version, and they didn't like that either. And then what ended up with, instead of being like a full comic, which is what my idea was, they just wanted 20 single panels. And I'm like, this is so unsatisfying, <laughs> I can't even begin. Uh, I mean, I did a little bit of cross-promotion with them for a time, but uh, yeah, I, I haven't talked to them in years. But the, the first comic was meant to be the story of um, a, a guy, a young guy, who uh, accidentally happens across uh, someone he really lusts over in college or school or whatever, I guess like a high school, and he witnesses that person killing someone else in a very sexy way. <laughs> Basically, I have a bit of a throat fuck fetish. I'm not entirely sure what caused that, but I do. And so the idea is this guy throat fucks someone to death, and I just thought, that's fucking great. <laughs> and the idea is this, this other guy witnesses this, but instead of being, like, obviously he's, he's afraid, he's spooked and everything, but he's also really turned on. And the idea is he then approaches this, this person uh, you know, and basically admits that he's seen the act, he's seen what's happened, and, uh, but he's not going to tell anyone, he's not going to tell the police, but what he wants is for this person to do that to him. And this person then laughs in his face, turns him down, and basically, you know, just tells him to fuck up. And so the, the would-be victim is so pissed off and depressed by the fact that he has offered the ultimate gift and been turned down, that he then proceeds to kidnap that person and then torture them. <laughs> so that was what was behind the entire first story. And so it's this person who... Is this normal person discovers that they have a bit of a like you know, a bit of a death wish, 
and then discovering later on that, oh, not only do they have that, but then they really, you know, because torturing this person and really, really enjoys that too. So it's like, wow, that's a, that's a serious bit of self-discovery right there. And it was just me really letting go and just really like, you know, like just putting it all out there and, and just being like, fuck it, you know, it doesn't even matter if no one likes it. But then, of course, I, I put the comic out there and... Um, Obviously, it was only ever going to be a very niche market that was going to enjoy it, but uh, I found that market, and they were like, "More, please." <laughs> yeah, and then and that's the key. That's the key that there are people out there who want to see that, even if it's yeah. dark, even if it's involving uh, suffering on the part of a victim or death on the part of a yeah. victim. There's a death fetish, male death fetish. Uh, you know, all these things exist in the world that we are in. Um, yeah. We've chosen to be there. Now, you, the work that you do, the storytelling about uh, characters being uh, tortured, and there's a lot of electricity or battery. I'm not sure how to yeah. express this in the accurate way, but some kind of... Electro-torture, yeah. yeah a, a, metal, <laughs> a metal frame and the guy is uh, oh, yeah. physically in contact, <laughs> yeah. And then there's a shocking, a pun intended, response yeah. to the current uh, electricity or battery going through yeah. anatomy, right? And that's one yeah. of the standard elements of your storytelling. Very, very vibrant, very alive. You know, you can almost hear the sizzling, at least when I look yeah. at it. When you think about that's right, that, that's what I want. <laughs> right, that's exactly what you want. When you think about that, do you think about in the world also that we live in, 21st century, yeah. there is military or paramilitary uh, torture of uh, combat com- combatants, is that the word? Uh, soldiers, yeah. warriors being captured and tortured by their adversaries. You don't yeah. seem to get too much into that. I've seen military themes, but have you chosen not to get into political in the sense of naming a country or naming a terrorist group, that kind of thing? Um, I haven't made any conscious choice to do that. I, I guess it's uh, I'm, I'm never really that fussed about particular organizations or or uh, you know countries. It's it's more been just about the I. I I think I've been more gravitated toward the, the the more personal experience of a single person, not really caring what their reasons are. Because the the I think the one of the aspects of my work is that it's, a, it's acknowledging the fact that someone would torture someone not because they're an enemy, not because you know they're trying to get information. It's simply for the pure dark sexual thrill of enjoying causing pain, which is probably the most despicable reason to do it, but it's also the most intense and <laughs> kind of the most uh, compelling reason. Uh, and from a drama point of view, it's, it's like there's a film, oh God, I can't remember, I think it was 8mm, I think it was a Nicolas Cage film, actually a pretty good one, and it was um, where he uh, he's tracking down like uh, an organization that makes snuff films, and, and it you know, turns out like most of them are fake, but like uh, on occasion there's these real ones and uh, you know it's because a girl goes missing and he eventually tracks down the 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 torturer and he's he just expects a monster and instead he's you know he kind of takes the, the hood off this guy and he's like yeah not what you expected it's just just a fat guy with glasses and he's like yeah you know it's like we're, we're just we just look like you we're just regular people we just do <laughs> we just do things differently i remember that film thinking like god that's that's more disturbing than anything else just the fact that like a a regular normal person, you know, and we we like to, you know, because people like to say, oh, this person was sick, and this person was perverted, they're deviant, you know, they're, they're you know, they're attaching all the labels, and that's usually a bit of a self defense reaction, I think, to to uh, to distance yourself because the last thing you want to ever think, well, most normal people do not want to ever think that they are capable of that, just because like they are, yeah. <laughs> Because we kind of all are, really. And, and, and the, so, the person yeah, that yeah. might you might think one might think is a monster could be normal, and it could be like the guy sitting next to you the next day on the subway, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I, I guess, um, and I did start to. In fact, I I do need to make some progress with it because, admittedly, I, it, it's been kind of uh, stagnant for a while just because I haven't had the time to keep up with it. But um, 
uh, yeah, Skyler's, uh, like, you know, um, experiences of certain uh, aspects of, of his military training and, and, uh, and there's a few other, uh, I won't name names, just because, and they, they don't want to feel, them to feel embarrassed. <laughs> Skyler doesn't mind, I know, because he's like, yeah, whatever. Um, but, um, but, you know, taking their experiences and dramatizing them. I, mean, I don't like to repeat, like, one for one what they've been through, because that kind of feels like, uh, well, again, you know, there might be a bit of an embarrassment uh, angle to that, and and so I switch it up into you know my own little story, so it's it's, uh, it's converted a little bit into something else. But uh, yeah, there's been some uh, some military aspects, and I've definitely had really great reactions to that. A lot of uh, people have said they want a lot more military stuff, and I actually had intended to do a whole bunch more stuff, specifically on you know the Marine Corps and things like that. But uh, I'm kind of stymied by the fact that trying to find someone to make an actual USMC uh, uniform, there's really not much out there. I mean, you've, you've, you've got the same model packs I do. There's like this generic army uniform you can get, which looks good, but it doesn't look like any specific country's uniform. Yes. And yeah. I'm not I'm not decent enough. Like, I can make certain things out of models now. Like, I mean, I've made my own bed spring models because the ones that were available were not exciting enough and I wanted something that looked, you know, a lot more dramatic. I can make rooms. I can make, like, you know, certain things out of 3D models. But uh, when it comes to clothing and that kind of stuff, that is an entire next level of modeling. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, and it is... It's very difficult, like you say, to find authentic, you know, like what looks good from a NATO uh, military yeah. group versus what does the United States Marines uniforms or, or look like or the combat gear. It's a very specialized thing. It's difficult to find. I will send you uh, some links just between us that I have found uh, places where people have created objects which I have used and they come with textures uh, and they're very useful because it's hard, you know, it's hard to create camouflage uniforms <laughs> because they're yeah. meant to be confusing in nature so they blend in, you know what I mean, the, yeah. the visual. Uh, one of the things, I wanted to get back to the military for a second. One of the things I was yeah. recently commissioned on scaffies was when all of this in Afghanistan started happening in the in the summer of 21 when yeah. um, the uh, Taliban uh, took over I guess is the way to express it accurately took over yeah that was something I mean my uh, well just briefly I'll just say because I have a project manager who is a, re a retired Royal Marine commando uh, and he's, he's only like recently retired so he's not like terribly old or nothing but yeah he, he has had some very very choice words about the whole situation, and I can imagine a lot of uh, other Marines do too. The fact that you know you, you literally bleed for, for the whole cause, and then then they just absolutely butt fuck it like crazy. That was just an insane thing to watch that happen. So uh, I can imagine there's a lot of very uh, very heated feelings about that whole situation. Well, and and what got the uh, commission, the person who did the commission to me was their anger at how. The local, yeah, yeah. the local guys who are trained by the United States and and uh, what's the phrase? The uh, well, the British were in there too in Australia. Um, sure, there was a as a group. It's not a consortium. There's another word they use, but anyway, this particular Scaffies member was very angry that these local people in Afghanistan didn't stand up and fight for themselves, quote unquote, or for their country, quote unquote. And they're very tribal-based, and that was what it was all about. It wasn't about, you know, my country, tis of thee. It was uh, my tribe is more important. So I was commissioned, and I wrote this story about, you know, these. In I invented these Afghan characters and put them put them through all kinds of horrible stuff, ending up in... Yeah, I've seen some <laughs> Yeah, you know, death, first castration and then death, you know, always in that order. Um, yeah. And that was something that I didn't think I would ever really want to get involved in, in a political sense, taking, um, you know, something that's an obvious real world suffering uh, in the situation in Afghanistan and turning it yeah. into, uh, you know, erotica and hardcore torture fantasy porn. It seemed a little yeah. weird, but 
it went <laughs> it went over very well. Thank you on uh, Scaffy. So I continue yeah. to operate in that. The secret military executions is a phrase I like to use. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a sick world. Oh, sure. I mean. Uh, and it, it's kind of funny because I, I kind of went through a similar situation where, where I was, you know, adapting, you know, some of Skyler's stories to uh, to turn into, um, uh, you know, uh, a comic and that. And I did kind of say, it's like, look, uh, am I going to offend anyone with this? Because <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really care if I do. But then again, I do because, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to disrespect, you know, an entire... Uh, you know, an entire organization. Uh, but then he, he kind of said, yeah, no, the, the, the people who don't really care for this, they're not going to be watching anyway, and the people who do, they're just going to be springing a boner, so don't worry about it. Right. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's fair enough. Well, uh, so, yeah, so, so to a degree, that kind of put me at ease in doing those kinds of things. And as I release stuff onto Scaffies and, like, you know, I mean, even some of the more extreme stuff that I put on there, um, you know, a lot of people have reacted you know, incredibly well, a lot better than I thought they would. And again, that plays into what I said about, uh, you know, the Scaffies people being a bit more adult about adult things. Like, you know, they, they can understand that uh, something, you know, which is a piece of 3D art is simply a piece of 3D art. And, you know, if it's not real, it ain't, you know, it ain't real. Yeah. So uh, it's nice to have people who can react that way. I only wish the rest of the world could act that grown oh, up. I, know. I, yeah. I have been banned off of so many Gundab sites uh, not largely because of anything I've done, but because they shifted the goalposts. Like Facebook changed their rules, and all of a sudden, my artist account—I had a Sparky Shark artist account—got banned. Like, thanks. Uh, same thing happened to my YouTube account. Uh, let's see what uh, Tumblr did the same. We all know how Tumblr imploded. Um, and then uh, Pornhub booted me out. I came to it one day, and it's just like everything's gone. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and. Uh, uh, that's happened on so many bloody sites. Even Renderotica banned me, and like I was one of their featured artists. And like uh, I got back to them and said, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. Well, you you you, uh, you mentioned Patreon. I'm like in my bio, the one thing that nobody looks at. Are you fucking crazy? Well, you were warned. I was warned four years ago. <laughs> you, and uh, they ban banned you. Renderotica banned you for men mentioning Patreon. Yeah, yeah, in my bio. Like, if you mention it in the pick description, I understand you're not allowed to do that, and I didn't. But it was it was like, uh, you know, where you've got, like, you know, your name, your location, and, uh, yeah. like, your your personal website. It was in the personal website. You know, that's the bit it's supposed to be in. Yeah, well, and that's, uh, and that's not being censored for content. That's ridiculous. I was... Uh, it was stupid. I, I was beside myself, like, I can't fucking believe. And, uh, and I... I, I Kind of, I mean, I, I kind of exploded on this person. I just wrote like a whole bunch of emails, just basically like kind of just fuck you emails, and uh, and explaining the fact this is just no way to treat your artists. And uh, in fact, I made a a special pick of me is is digital me giving the middle finger up and with a big fuck you render. <laughs> like, yeah. And I put that on every every site I could put it on. I was like, you know, you're just absolute assholes. And uh, I and you know the amount of money I'd spent there. I'd spent money on on models, uh, lots of different models and everything. And I told them in the email, I said, you know what? Just to piss you off, just to spite you, I am going to contact those model makers personally, and I will pay them the full amount for their next models. You will get nothing out of me anymore. They will get the full amount because they actually take fifty percent profit. Yeah. So when I, of course I, I contacted a bunch of those modelers and they, they were more than happy to accept that. I was like, ah, yeah. fuck. Good. So yeah, it's uh, stupid, but like, you know, I mean, and this is this is what I mean. Why the fuck can't the world just act more bloody grown up? I mean, I understand that you know that these things need to be separated and categorized. Like uh, Patreon, when I started off on Patreon. The doing hardcore intense torture porn was not a problem. You just had to make sure that your blog was rated adult, which mine was, and you had to censor anything that was like uh, an image on the actual post, but you could link off-site to, you know, an art set or whatever. And then the rules changed, and all of a sudden that wasn't allowed anymore. And I've been suspended there, like, several bloody times, and it's, it's only by just sheer willpower I've managed to keep that thing, because obviously that's my main income, so I, I need that. <laughs> uh, but it's it's insane how much crap you fight against yes. in order to give people entertainment. And it's like, who the hell is this hurting? You are not solving world hunger or... Uh, you know, exactly, exactly. 
And and the irony for me is that a lot of these companies, like Patreon, is in San Francisco, which is one of the most liberal, most open-minded, freewheeling. Oh, just I I just I was kicked off of Patreon because they changed. Yeah. Like you said, I had been there. Yeah, they shift the goalposts. Yeah. yeah. Five or six years, everything was fine. Making money for them, you know? And then suddenly, oh, yeah. oh, no, no, you can't show this, you can't show that. It's like, fuck this. So I switched to yeah. Gumroad, G-U-M-R-O-A-D, and they're yeah, also in San Francisco, and I really like them, I would say. Yeah. If I, I have, I've managed to keep my Patreon account. One of the reasons I do the He-Man stories because that was like an, an effort to save my Patreon, because at the, the point where I got suspended. I, I'd had like about 120 subscribers. I was really doing well. And then they changed the rules. I saw my subscription cut straight in half. It went down to less than 60. And it was, uh, that was about halfway through 2018. And that was just so bloody depressing to, to see all this hard work just collapse. And, um, and then uh, so this is about the same time that my, uh, I got my, my project manager to, uh, to sort of help me out. And, and so that He-Man story, because, I mean, he writes He-Man fanfics, and he saw some of my, uh, I, I made, like, a, a bunch of, like, He-Man style sort of things. It wasn't actually supposed to be specifically He-Man. It was more like a Conan the Barbarian, you know, some sort of barbarian warrior guy. But he contacted me and said, hey, I love your artwork. You know, do you want to collaborate and everything? And, and so, long story short, he's, you know, through his efforts, we've managed to save my patron. But at the same time, I was looking into, um, I think a fellow artist recommended Fanbox on, on Pixiv, which is a Japanese website. And I went along there, and it's a little intimidating because it's initially only Japanese, and you, you have to kind of like, you know, set up your web browser to translate a few things and that. But they've actually changed it now so that it's a little bit more accessible to foreign guests. Uh, so as much as things are still a little bit in Japanese, and most of it's translated for you. And uh, so I saw that it, it was a gallery, and I was like, okay, great, I need a new gallery, because obviously I've lost Renderotica, so now I have to find another one. So I started posting a bit of artwork there, and testing the waters, and see how it was, and, and I could see that there's a ton of, like, seriously super extreme hardcore stuff, uh, and not only that, but, like, all sorts of stuff you will never find on a Western site. <laughs> I'm not going to elude any more than that, but it's like, okay, these people clearly... Uh, do not care what gets posted so long as you censor adequately. Because uh, any image that's on, on the web, uh, website, even if it's like rated adult, you have to censor genitalia because it's the Japanese up weird that way. Uh, but you can link to the uncensored version on the, the, the description, so that's really great. And then the other thing is they you have to categorize the stuff properly. If you don't, they will kind of you know get on your ass about that. So so as long as you know you cross all the T's and double all the I's, you can really have whatever the fuck you want on there, which is terrific. I find that's such a great attitude. It's like, like I said, you know, a grown-up attitude, finally. And then uh, I realized that you, they had um, uh, the Pixiv booth, which is like a digital store for selling comics. I was like, well, that's great, because uh, that's another thing I lost with Renderotica, is I was selling my comics through Renderotica. Well, now I couldn't do that. I was like, okay, well, now I need to, uh, you know, find a new place. So, so I was looking at that, and I was like, okay, I can sell my digital PDFs. That's awesome. I can set a price. I mean, I have to set the price in yen, but it's transferred directly to PayPal, so it's like, okay, well, there's no problem there. <laughs> and then the third thing was the fact that they then launched Fanbox, which was their version of Patreon. And uh, initially I was like, well, I don't know what the reaction to my work will be, so I'll set this up and I'll see what's going on. And, and uh, long story short, uh, again, uh, here we are about a year later, because I started that in October of 2019. And here we are, uh, I guess, like, well, you know, I guess we're nearly two years on, and I have done pretty well for myself on there. I have roughly between 50 to 55 subscribers, which doesn't sound like a lot, but, you know, they're, they're paying a fair amount of money. So between that and Patreon, I'm, I'm making pretty much my full income, which is terrific. So uh, Fanbox has really been a godsend, uh, and I'm, I'm so thankful that the Japanese have <laughs> more uh, is a grown-up attitude towards, uh, you know, fiction, uh, fictitious, you know, uh, adult porn, because... Yeah, some of the other stuff I've had to deal with, uh, I'm just not not happy about. So, so yeah, it's it's interesting that we we've been through a similar kind of uh, you know uh, bumps in the road. Yes, well, and and the longing that I have is for what you would say is a more grown up acceptance. Um, I think the world, uh, many cultures, uh, want 
to censor art like this or storytelling like this. And they don't ever explain why. Like, if it's a religious-based thing, you know, that's easy to say. And I was raised Roman Catholic, so I understand a religious basis for, you know, guilt and and (laughs) other things. And I rejected all that, and today I'm an atheist. You know, thank you very much. But the... um, the world in, of today where there is censorship for no reason other than someone saying, well, I'm deciding what is considered acceptable and what is not considered acceptable. I want to avoid people like that. Um, so yeah. I, I would aim for, I long for what you would call a more grown-up approach. Yeah, I can uh, completely agree with that. It's uh, well, it's pretty much what I've you know just been rabbiting on about. It's yeah, it would be nice if uh, if the internet wasn't being molded for five year olds. Like, as far as I'm concerned, the five year olds should be the ones getting suspended and banned from the internet. <laughs> like, keep them the fuck away from this. Let let the adults have the internet. And then when you're old enough, just like you know, when you're old enough to drive, then you can get a car. Uh, yeah, I think that would be a far more sensible, you know, bloody idea. So. <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, if we ruled the world, what a wonderful place it would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't know. The, the capital punishment might be a little harsh. <laughs> well, you certainly have all the methods, uh, you know, and usually involving some kind of metal and some kind of a current of uh, electricity or a battery power. So I, I could only, I could only say, I think if, uh, yeah, if. If um, the punishment for, like, I don't know, any given crime is is, uh, is electro-torture to the nuts, I think I'd be committing a lot more crimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be a regular down at the police station, like, yeah, sorry, I couldn't help myself. I robbed the post office again. <laughs> yes, I'm going to be here for a week. <laughs> yes. Hurt me, please, officer. Hurt me, hurt me. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So I'm back for my weekly, uh, yeah, therapy. <laughs> Well, I have really enjoyed talking to you. I hope our listeners have enjoyed hearing us talking about what we do. One artist talking to another, sharing perspectives and horrible stories <laughs> and whatnot. I really appreciate your spending the time with me today. Yeah, no, it's been great to chat with you. As you say, it's nice to chat artist to artist, and we do a lot of very similar things, and I've appreciated your art on the Scaffies, so it's... Uh, uh, it's, it's nice to know you appreciate mine too, and uh, I've looked forward to seeing what we'll both come up with in the future. It'll be cool. <laughs> All right, Ben, well, you take care, and uh, it's been a great time with you. All right, thank you so much. Take care. Find out more about this topic, go online to the website taboo truths and tales.com. That's taboo truths and tales.com. Taboo Truths and Tales is hosted by Madeira D'Souza. That's me. Thank you.